welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Tonight's message is one uh, that we are going to be talking about what is Lent. Now, this is a Baptist church, and you've probably never heard a sermon like this, but it's important for you to know because uh, one of the weaknesses of Baptist churches is we don't always observe what we call periods of fasting and prayer. And that's biblical in our Bible. Absolutely, Jesus spoke about it, where there should be times where we set apart for focus towards the Lord. And that's what we're going to be seeing today. So I'm going to give you some background information um, about Lent. And actually, I hope you have a bulletin. I want you to pull it out and look at the back, because you can see some of the different Bible verses we're going to reference and look up here. But um, I, have a, I have a diagram I want to put up on the screen. It's a diagram of, of, a, of the, what we call the liturgical year in church life. So you've probably heard that word, liturgical. So what, what that means is it's a, it's a series of, of basically seasons, Christian seasons, throughout the Christian calendar. Now, Baptists do not observe the liturgical year. Catholics do, but there's about two and a half groups of Protestants that do. Our Lutherans friends observe this, our Episcopalians, which are Anglins from England, and then about half of Methodists observe it. So some Methodists do, some Methodists don't. It just, just kind of depends. So you'll, you'll see this, and you'll see people talking about this. So you look here at this diagram. This kind of explains it well. We'll start there in December, Advent. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. That means coming. So you're getting ready, ready for the birth of Christ. So we talk about the little Advent candle. You talk about lighting what the, each little candle represents. And again, um, the word liturgical, the Advent candle, no, none of that stuff's in the Bible. So I'm going to explain why uh, a lot of Christians in the past do observe it. And I'll share the weaknesses of this calendar. And also, there are some great strengths in this. And then you get into the Christmas and Epiphany. That's uh, Jesus, obviously, and the wise men. Then you get into ordinary time. Ordinary time would basically be just, where, just various seasons, various teachings on the Bible. Then you get into March, or actually in our case, that would actually start in February, and that's called Lent. Lent is roughly, it's 40 days leading up to the Lord's Supper, not counting uh, the Sunday. So it's, it, that's how they count 40. It's a period of fasting and prayer. The word Lent means to lengthen. It's a long period of time of devoted fasting and prayer. And also, it's a period where Christians should give up something. Say, what do you give up? Traditionally, you give up food because you're fasting. And the goal of Lent is you're spending that time you would have been eating your food is been spending time with the Lord. That's what it's supposed to be. And the reason why it's on this calendar and the reason why in the history of Christianity they do this they have a season of Lent is because if you don't plan for it, it'll never happen. If you do not put on your calendar, okay, I'm going to spend a focused time of fasting and prayer for these 40 days right here, I, you won't do it. You will not do it. So I will say that is one of the strengths of this calendar because you will actually plan on, I'm going to focus on the Lord during this period. Then you see this word, 
Paschal Tridome, that's the three days leading up to Christ. That's starting with the Lord's Supper, Jesus' death, and then his, uh, his burial when he's in the ground. Then you get to Easter there, that's obviously the resurrection. Then you get to Pentecost, which also somewhat goes into June. And then you get in what do they just call this ordinary time. That's just other teachings throughout the Bible. That is your liturgical calendar. Now, those dates do kind of change throughout the year, but that's pretty much a generalized uh, generalized uh, idea of that. But for us, what we're going to see here, um, the strength of this is uh, you get the same teachings out of the year. So you know if you follow a liturgical calendar, you're going to be learning about uh, Jesus' birth. You're going to be having a period of fasting and prayer. You're going to be learning about Jesus' crucifixion, His resurrection. You're going to be learning about Pentecost, about when Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit came and the church was filled and uh, 3,000 people were saved. So those are obviously good stories that must be told throughout. Now, the weakness of this calendar is you can find yourself teaching the same thing year after year. It's very uh, systematic. And you can also, because there's only so much, only about half the years or so is about ordinary time, you can easily omit certain scriptures and certain sections of the Bible because you're focusing so much on all these other sections. So those are the strengths and the weaknesses of this. This is not in the Bible. Uh, liturgical year uh, is not something that's required, but it, it was adapted back uh, centuries ago for the purpose of so that Christians would know basic Bible doctrines and you would have different seasons to know we need to be studying this because it is central to the Christian faith. So that is an absolute strength of that. But what is, uh, what's neat about the word Lent is, and you'll see this on Ash Wednesday, and this is also, as you know, I used to live in New Orleans. I lived down there about three or four years. And on the day before Lent, remember Lent is always starts on a Wednesday. It, st it stands for Ash Wednesday. And you'll see people, that they'll, they'll, uh, like uh, Lutherans and Catholics will have these Ash Wednesday worship services this Wednesday. And you'll go there and they'll take ashes and put a cross on your head. Meaning you are about to enter a period of giving up something. Traditionally, of course, food. So that's what it's supposed to be a day of 40 days of fasting. Uh, in, in preparation for the Lord. Uh, for that. But... What also would happen in New Orleans on that Tuesday is what they call Fat Tuesday. So what people would do is if you knew you were about to start fasting on Wednesday, it would just be the day you would have total indulgence in food and whatever you want to do on, uh, on that day. It's the day you have a king cake and that is what you do on Tuesday. So that's this coming Tuesday is when you eat your king cake and you eat anything you want because you know the next day you're not going to eat for 40 days. So that is the uh, thinking behind of that. And you know, I don't know how strict people are today. Now it's more of something just for ceremonial purposes, possibly. But there was probably likely a time where some people took this extremely serious, where there was a period of true fasting for 40 days for the purpose of personal discipleship and knowing the Lord. Like there's a desire, I want to know God more. And that's what we're going to turn to in our Bibles. So we're going to flip over our Bibles to the book of Matthew, the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 16. This here is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is here going about to tell us. We're going to be here in Matthew chapter 6. Then we're going to flip over and look at Matthew chapter 9. And I'll reference some other scriptures, but they'll be up on the screen. And this here is about fasting. Now, a lot of us, we, we, don't, we don't always practice fasting. But that is uh, something that Jesus practiced. And not only that, he expected us to practice. And I believe the key verse to fasting is actually this verse we're about to read right here, verse 16. He's going to tell us here about this. It says, verse 16. Sounds like somebody's watching the Super Bowl. It comes on in five minutes tonight. Five minutes the Super Bowl. Verse 16, it says, Whenever you fast, so right there, that is the assumption. Jesus did not say and remember to fast. Oh, and by the way, you should fast. He is taking the assumption whenever you fast, meaning I expect my followers to be practicing this Christian discipline. Fasting is something that you are going to grow closer to the Lord by giving up food. So whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. That means when you fast, nobody should know. It's, it's not something you go and tell people. It's not something you brag about. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So that's all, that was their reward. Whatever people think about them, that is what they're believed. That's what they're thought about. Jesus is saying there's a greater reward that you're going to get. And what is that reward? It's, the reward's going to be answered to prayer. Remember, when you fast, you're fasting for something. You're fasting for God, but a lot of times it might be a, 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 maybe a, a person to get saved, a sin that you're struggling with. You're fasting to saying, Lord, I'm going to devote the time that I would have spent in meal preparation and eating this food and cleaning up for this food. Maybe it would have been a whole hour. I'm going to devote that towards you, towards prayer, towards Bible reading, and from knowing you deeper. That's what he's saying there. And you, you get your reward through fasting. A lot of people I know, they have maybe diagnosed with cancer, or they're diagnosed with a terminal sickness, they will turn to fasting immediately. They'll realize, I need the Lord. Because the doctors can't do anything else. The medicine will not heal me at this point. We receive bad news. You know, this past week, I was speaking to Brenda Burton in our church. She has a brand new grandbaby. She might have mentioned it in her Sunday school class. Earlier this week, her grandbaby, this, I think it's her great-grandbaby, born at UK and has a lot of uh, health concerns, I believe heart concerns as well, specifically. The doctors did not think the baby would live. If y'all remember, this week, they, they, I mean, these are young, young, young family. And um, the, the baby's about to be discharged. The Lord has healed. Our church prayed, while her Sunday school class, we, we prayed for this little baby Delaney. That there, I mean, when God's people pray for a healing, Immediately. And those prayers don't need to be next week. That meal is an urgency. You know, we want to cry out to the Lord on behalf of this child. I'm fasting. I'm praying 
for a healing for this child. So Jesus is assuming we're going to do this and we're not doing it to be seen. The only person who knows about this is the Lord. Verse 8, verse 17. But when you fast, again that assumption, you're going to fast. Put on oil on your head and wash your face. Meaning you're going to look very fresh. You don't want to look gloomy. You don't want anyone to know. So that your fasting isn't obvious to others. But to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. There's your reward right there. You're fasting to God in secret. He knows. He knows about our secret life. He knows about our motives. So then you will receive your reward. So you and I have to look at our lives. And we say, God, what about, what about my life? Am I fasting? Am I devoting something for you? And if we're not, we need to say, it's easy for us to say, gosh, Lent and that whole ceremony, that's just, uh, that's not biblical. But Lent, remember, Lent, all that is, is just a period of fasting. We don't need to call it Lent. We just need to say, I need to have a f- season of fasting and prayer. I need to have a season of devotion to the Lord. Now flip over here in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to pick up here on verse 14. Jesus received a question about fasting. So... And it was in comparison to John's disciples. Remember, John the Baptist had some disciples. And we received this question here. And Jesus is going to answer it. Matthew nine fourteen. Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples, they don't fast. So John's Baptist is saying there's something wrong here. We are so diligent in fasting, and we don't really seem y'all, y'all do, do this fasting stuff. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest be sad while the groom is with them? You know, Jesus never answers anything straightforward. He has to give a roundabout answer. The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So let's talk about who's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about himself. He's saying, The groom is him. He's the groom. The wedding is his presence on earth. He's saying, I'm the groom. I'm the promised Messiah you've all been waiting for. And here I just arrived. You've been dying for this event. You've been praying for this event. You've been fasting for the Messiah to come. And now I have arrived. I am the one you've been looking for. And now, all of a sudden, I'm with you. And then it says, there will come a time one day that this groom, i.e. me, I'm going to be taken away. And then they will fast. Folks, that's now. Jesus has been taken away. Jesus is in heaven with us. That means now is the time to fast. You don't need to fast when Jesus is standing next to you because you just ask Jesus, He'll do it. I mean, you've got God's presence right there. Now's that the groom, the Lord, has been taken away from us because He's in heaven. Now we have to fast. Now we have to increase our devotion towards the Lord. It's easy to believe in Jesus, or should have been easy to believe in Jesus when He's standing right there next to you. Although they didn't believe in Him, many of them. Jesus' disciples did believe in Jesus. 
But Jesus is, notice what he's saying there. No one, verse 16, no one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. Meaning, if you, ha- you don't put a piece of cloth on there that you know once you wash it, it's going to shrink up and it's just going to tear the other, make, make everything worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. Because if you put new wine in old wineskins, the, the, the wine is going to expand in the old wineskin is not going to expand. She says, no, they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved because the wineskin will expand with the new wine. What Jesus is saying here is you're to fast now because the groom is gone. But now all of a sudden during Jesus' time, you you had the groom who was there with you And that was the time to celebrate because you've been awaiting the Messiah. So we want to make sure in our personal lives that we are pouring new wine into new wineskins. Because that's what it means to grow closer to the Lord. Jesus is introducing new wine into new wineskins. The old wine was the old covenant. It was uh, following following these expectations, waiting for the Messiah. But now the Messiah is with us. He's, we have this new wine and new wineskins. God is saying, I am here now, ready to do something new. And your desire should be for me. Now, here in our Bibles, we want to flip over. And you, if you don't have it, you can, you can be up on the screen. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse, verse 1. Because this, this idea of fasting actually comes about again in verse 4. And Jesus here is, is he's, he's, in, he's uh, having his temptation. And what's powerful about his temptation is uh, he's in the wilderness and he had just fasted for 40 days. And then all of a sudden he's tempted. And I'm sure when you have not uh, ate for 40 days, you're starving. I'm sure you're very hungry. So then we're going to pick up on what happens here. And this really teaches us spiritually about what we're, what we're feasting on. So I want you to follow along in your Bibles. It's up here on the screen. We're going to read four verses. Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus left the Jordan. So what happened here is Jesus is moving along. And he had, uh, I mean, his, his ministry starting, and this is, uh, we just went through a, a genealogy. And then it says, Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit. And he was led in the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So the, the goal was Jesus spent 40 days with the Lord, knowing at the end of that 40 days, he was going to endure this type of temptation. Say, so why is this in the Bible? Why why did Jesus have to endure this temptation? Remember the very first temptation. Jesus is compared in the book of 1 Corinthians as the new Adam. And we're seeing a picture of that right here. Adam and Eve were in the garden. 
and they, they were not fasting. They were eating of any tree except for the, they're supposed to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But what happened was, Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, and they gave in, and they yielded to the temptation. And they, in, in um, chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, they ate from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from. Eve took the fruit, ate it, and then gave it to her husband, and he ate it. They both, in this sin, entered their body. That was a temptation they endured. So one of the things about Jesus Christ is the Bible teaches us that he has endured every single temptation that you and I. So one of the things we as Christians always have to remember is when we feel like we're going through whatever struggle you feel like it is today, and there's all sorts of different struggles. Uh, I mean, we could just name them. All sorts of problems you have. Family problems, personal problems, financial problems, immorality problems, just uh, problems with the media, problems with being addicted to the phone and watching porn, I'm just immorality, whatever it is, whatever your problems are, Jesus Christ can relate to us and help us overcome that problem. The Bible actually tells us this. And here's how. He went, he's going to endure this time of temptation. It says he's just spent 40 days fasting. So one of the reasons we see it's important to fast, if Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness... He's alone. He's spending this time in fasting and prayer. That's an example for us. We should be saying, God, I need to be practicing this. I need to be deepening my walk and my relationship with you, Lord. And then all of a sudden, he's tempted by the devil. Just like Adam and Eve were tempted like the devil. But Jesus doesn't give in to temptation. So I want to show you the very first temptation. It's three temptations here. We're going to focus on the first one. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry, obviously, because he was a man. The devil said to him, notice it was like almost the devil was waiting. He was counting the days. He knew. He had positioned himself. So understand what the devil was doing. He knew that Jesus was in a 40-day fast. He knew on day 40, there was going to be an opportunity to attack Jesus. He was going to go after Jesus. He was standing off the side. He was aware of what was going on in the wilderness. So when, one of the things you have to watch out for is the day you decide to say, I'm going to get spiritual. I'm going to start practicing fasting and prayer. Well, when you do that, also know you've got a devil there who's watching you. And he's, uh, if you say, Jesus, I'm going to give one week to you, devil's going to be, okay, let's see. And if you do make it one week, well, I'll be ready for when that week ends. We'll see what's going to happen on day seven. Because that's what happened. The devil was just anticipating day 40. Because he's already lined up his attacks. In fact, I want to read all of these verses here. This is such good scripture here. So I want go ahead. Oh, you want to open up your Bible. Luke chapter 4. The devil said to him, he didn't even ask a question. He just goes to him and says, right off the bat, Jesus is hungry. Day 40, the fast is over. If you are the Son of God, right there, casting the seeds of doubt, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus, after all, I know you can do it. I mean, you are the one. And Jesus is hungry. The devil knows he's hungry. One of our dangers about thinking pride is so deceptive. 
deceitful because you think, you know what, I'm going to go on this fast. I'm going to have on this devotion. I'm going to get up here at 6 a.m. and pray. But that can be, if, you, if you're not careful, your pride, the event is not, hey, look what I did. The whole purpose of fasting is to honor the Lord. The, po- the audience of prayer is not nobody else but the Lord. That's, you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.13. 8.3, he says, Jesus answered him, It is written, man must not live on bread alone. Right there off the bat. He says, man must not live on bread alone. Meaning there's something else you've got to live on. What is he talking about? He's talking about, yes, you're li- living on bread alone, but there's something... Bread alone is not enough. Bread alone will lead you to hell. Bread alone, you'll get hungry again. Bread alone, lost people can eat on bread alone. Anyone can uh, eat bread alone. We've got right now, the college students are right down yonder over there. They're eating on bread alone. I mean, it's just, that's what we do here. But Jesus says there's something more that you can eat than that. There's something, you can't just live on this bread. There's something else to live on. So look here, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor in all of this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Is that true? No, that's not true. He is under God's authority. The devil lies. Now, he does have authority over the kingdoms. Uh, he has deceived the, the kings. Many kings have been deceived by him. But he doesn't have the authority to just give out anything he wants. He's under God's authority. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. The devil is asking for Jesus' worship right there. Jesus again quotes him. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that is a quote there from Deuteronomy 6.13. He's saying the only person we're to worship is the Lord God. Only. Nobody else we don't worship. Devil, we cannot worship you. It's not even an option. It's not even worth thinking about. Said, I'll, you can have all the kingdoms you want. Jesus is saying money means nothing. I don't need splendor. I don't need this honor from man. I'm not here to try to become president. Say, I serve solely the Lord. Understand what Jesus is teaching. These three teachings from this wilderness passage Teach us about who we are. Jesus is telling us, number one, we do not live on bread alone. Meaning there's something else we live on. That means you will die just eating food. But if you eat the Lord Jesus, if you feast on the Word of God, if you have communion with the Lord, you will live. He's saying, yeah, you can eat that and stay alive, but spiritually, if you want to live, you have to eat, you have to feast on the Lord. There's more that I'm offering. And then the second one, he's saying, what is your deepest desire? Is it power? Is it wealth? I can give it all to you, Jesus. All you have to do is worship me. And he's telling, he says here, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then we're going to move now. Now this is interesting. The first one there is he took him up in this moment of time and saw all the kingdoms of the world. Now, basically he showed him the entire world. He says, all you have to do is worship the devil, worship me, and it's all yours, Jesus. But now we're about to go to Jerusalem. And to me, this is one of the most frightening uh, quotes in the Bible because the devil's actually going to quote Scripture here. And he takes them 
to church of all places. He says, we're going to go to the temple. We're going to go to the place that soon you will be worshiping. We're, or you'll be preaching at. You know, you just think about it. Jesus spent a lot of time in Jerusalem teaching and preaching at the temple there. Now look at this. Verse 9. So this is the third and final temptation. So he took him up to Jerusalem. Had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from Him. So, folks, they go to church. They first, they're in the wilderness. He attacks on day 40. Right there, he's hungry. All right, 40 days, it's time to get your bread. So why don't you take the stones? Look at these rocks right here. They can become bread. They even look like bread. He's offering him that. You've got the power to do it. Then he takes them up in the atmosphere, shows them all the kingdoms of the world, says they're all yours, just worship me. Then they go to church. They take them to the top pinnacle. That would be our steeple right here. Most prominent steeple in the whole. This is the business. Y'all know our guests from Mount Vernon. This is the, our, the police that told us this intersection is the busiest intersection in the entire state of Kentucky right here. We've got Pasadena and Alexander. We've got Harrisburg Road. We have Beaumont right there. And we have New Circle Road. I mean, it's just, if you come here tomorrow morning at 8.15, you're going to sit in traffic in front of our church. And if you try to pull out of the church parking lot at 4.30, you'll never make a left, left turn. You'll just sit right there and stare at our sign and our steeple. This is what happens. The devil took him to the top of the pinnacle. I mean, he's, he took him to this top. They're on top of our steeple. He's at church in the highest place. And he says, he quotes the Bible. Look what he says here. It, this is a quote here. From Psalm 91.11. Now folks, if the, remember, if the devil's quoting the Bible to Jesus, if he's quoting the Bible, surely you and I need to be learning our Bibles. Surely we need to be memorizing Scripture instead of watching the Super Bowl. Surely we need to be diving into God's Word. He says, I will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I mean, Jesus, just throw yourself down. Because the Bible says, that same Bible that you read, that God's angels will not allow you to fall and hurt your stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not test the Lord your God. He's quoting there Deuteronomy 6.16, three different times. Every scripture Jesus quoted came from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy sums up the first four books of the Bible. That's the uh, Mosaic Law. And Jesus knew that Bible, knew the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted it, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Look at that, Look at that verse up there. If you have it on the screen. For a time, verse 13. It's telling us it's not forever. There's going to be more. But for right now, you passed, but I'll be back. That's what the devil's teaching us. And what happens right here, it's, it lets us know they go to church, they quote the Bible, and Jesus quotes the Bible back. Now, what's amazing about this story is they're at the very temple that Jesus is beginning his ministry here. Just in a few months, Jesus is going to be back at this temple, and he's going to be quoting scripture. He's going to be teaching the people. He's going to be healing people. And I can just imagine, Jesus is at the temple. 
And probably he looked up and he saw the very steeple and he saw the pinnacle of that steeple and he remembered, it, was, it wasn't that long ago, that I was standing right over there and the devil was talking to me. And I quoted scripture. Now I stand over here and I preach and teach the scriptures. Notice, wherever Jesus was, whether he was alone personally at the pinnacle of the temple teaching the devil's scripture, or he was there at the temple teaching all the people's scripture, he was centered on the Word of God. And so I believe what happens when we read about this story. Jesus is coming out of fasting. And he's hungry. And he reminds us that man must not live on bread alone. That means there is something else we must live on. Fasting draws us to a closer relationship with the Lord. And if we are just going about from meal to meal, we're going to miss something. We're going to miss a communion of God. Last thing I think, I'm going to put one final Bible verse up on the screen. Because I want you to know, there's actually, a lot of times when you hear about fasting, you have people talk about things that aren't really in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a media fast or a or a, uh, or a fasting from talking on the phone or stuff like that. That's not, that's not fasting in the Bible was I'm going to do without food. Because the goal is you're going to be hungry. You're going to be suffering for the greater purpose of remembering every time your stomach is growling and you're thinking I am dying of hunger, you then think, oh, I need to spend time with the Lord. That's the purpose of fasting. But there actually is one other fast in the Bible and it's in the book of Daniel. And I'm going, to, I'm going to reference this upon the screen. It's Daniel chapter 1, verse 12. This is what we call the Daniel fast. Daniel was captured and he found himself in Babylon. And he was put before the king's table. And he had all this different type of food to eat. Expensive food. Food that was not kosher. Food that would not be appropriate for a, a Hebrew person. It's like if you're on a diet, some of you might have very strict diets. You have certain types of food you eat, maybe for health reasons, or it's just you don't want to eat unhealthy food. But then when you go on vacation, or you get out of your routine all of a sudden, or you go to a Super Bowl party, next thing you know, you look around and go, this stuff is not what I eat. This totally breaks and busts the diet. This is not in order. So Daniel, if you look here in verse 12, he went and approached the leader and it says he asked for special permission. And he went to the chief eunuch and he says in verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. The Daniel fast was a 10 day vegetables and water. It says for the next 10 days, I'm going to eat my vegetables and I'm going to drink water. And that's it. And the Bible tells us, if you read that story, the Bible says that from Daniel eating his vegetables and drinking his water, he was more healthy, he was stronger, and God blessed him even more from the Daniel fast. That is a unique fast, a 10-day fast, vegetables and water, that we see from Daniel. So when we look at fasting in the Bible, when we talk about this so-called Lent season coming up, Lent means you're going to lengthen something. It's a period of 40 days, not counting the Sundays, leading up 
to um, the Lord's Supper on that Thursday when Jesus was with his disciples. And it's a period for us that we say we want to give up food for the Lord so we can deepen our walk with the Lord. But just be aware, that's not the only fast. The Daniel fast is vegetables and water. In all of these fasting, every time we see someone fasting in the Bible, there's always for a greater purpose, and God always honored that purpose. Remember Esther, before she approached King Xerxes, she fasted for three days. She asked all other people to fast with her. By her fasting, it was preparing her to approach the king to try to save the Jewish people. So the question this evening, as we wrap this up, we say, is there someone or is there something in your life that you need to be fasting for? Now, remember the most important rule with fasting. No one but the Lord should know. I shouldn't know. person you're sitting to shouldn't know. It's just between you and the Lord. You shouldn't bring ever attention to it. You shouldn't go to work or school and say, oh, I'm not going to eat that. I'm fasting. That, if, that, if you do that, you've just lost your reward, Jesus said. You don't even ever tell somebody that you're fasting. It's not ever for show. It's between you and God. And for some of us, if we want to experience spiritual breakthroughs in our life, you want to experience healing and just see people saved in your family, you know, certainly we've been spending a lot of time in prayer, and the next step is fasting. Fasting and prayer brings, the Bible told us, we just read, a reward from the Lord. Beecher, I want to invite you to come forward. We're going to have our invitation. I'm going to close this in our prayer. And we're going to have our opportunity to respond to the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you for us being at church tonight. Lord, it's important for us to study your word. Lord, you tell us that man does not live on bread alone. Lord, there is something uh, about not eating that deepens our walk with you. Lord, or so some of us here, maybe we've been trying and struggling to live on bread alone, and we can't do it. We're coming up hungry, hungry for you. I pray this evening that this would be our time, our focus towards you, and it's our time to respond to you. If anyone here needs prayer, if anyone here needs uh, just uh, someone to us to lay our hands on and pray over them, that we will do that. Lord, I thank you for being able to come to church. Pray for all of our college students downstairs having a good time of fellowship. Thank you for Danielle and Beecher and Ryan leading us in our worship this evening. Lord, we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. We close our worship services with invitation. If you want me to pray for you, I'll be standing down front. You come down forward and we'll have our special time of prayer.